0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Hey, we want to take this time to thank our sponsors, Free Life Soap. You can check them out today by going to the recoveringfundamentalist.org, Click on the Free Life Soap tab. Use the promo code RFP and get 20% off of your order. Free Life Soap. Somebody tweeted at us today and said, Hey, what scent or flavor, smell, that's it, would you use from Free Life Soap? I'm buying the beard oil. And Nate, it's crazy. I can't stand the Cuban cigar, but you love that smell. Yes, that's my favorite one. That's that's what I always use. I'm black leather all the way, Brian. What do you use on your beard? A razor. <laughs> A razor. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Clean shaven, going to heaven. Um, so go check them out today at Free Life Soap. On the recovering fundamentalist.org. We also want to thank J Radio, where Nathan is at tonight. Thanks for being a sponsor of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. I don't know if you saw Twitter this week, but fake sermon, the man, the myth, the legend, IFB preacher clips got taken down by the one and only missionary, Brother Spencer. Missionary in air quotes. Ex- yeah. Field missionary. That's it. Field.
1: Yeah. He basically went on a destroy mission. And um, it's pretty cool that, you know, he's reaching people in Kenya and he's got time to worry about someone playing his own preaching clips.
0: Can can we discuss what a field missionary is?
2: Brian, you're the older, mature member of the RFP. Why don't you explain to us what a field
1: missionary is? Is that a missionary with less than seven kids? (laughs) I'm not a missionary, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) There are two types of missionaries, as I understand it, in the IFB World. There are missionaries who live on their field in order to reach those that God has called them to reach. Like Mike
0: and Jen Peters.
1: Yes. And then there are others who live in the states and they make occasional trips to the mission field. Mm. And supposedly they send a lot of the money that channels through them to the mission field. But who's going to Kenya to inspect to see whether or not that's actually happening. Who's going to these other places to inspect whether or not that's happening? So I think his name is Spencer Smith.
0: Brian, to you, that's Brother Spencer Smith.
1: Oh man, I broke the cardinal rule. (laughs) Brother Spencer Smith. I think, you know, he lives stateside. And if I'm not mistaken, he invests a lot of time in YouTube videos. And he really wants his content out there. But apparently when... IFB preacher clips puts his content out his own content suddenly becomes embarrassing or offensive to him, which mine would be too if I preached you know for let's say ten minutes about drinking mountain dew and then randomly shouted, "Hallelujah to God! I mean what does that have to do with mountain dew? It's so ridiculous. I I don't even have a vocabulary to describe the ridiculousness of why you would make unspiritual statements and then follow them up with hallelujah to God, as if that justifies all the mess you just said that was nothing to do with God. And Brian is fired up and we ain't even started the podcast
0: yet. I love it. Here's what got fake sermon taken off. He posted a clip of brother Spencer Smith playing a clip of casting crowns so not his own music, but then a member of Casting Crowns retweeted fake sermon. And then Spencer Smith said it was copyrighted material and got fake sermon shut down. So he got fake sermon shut down for retweeting a video of a video that he reviewed. So I want to I talk about what it means to
2: be taken down. Because from what I witnessed, all I saw was you know, maybe 30 minutes, and then he was posting on another count. So does that really count as taking him down? The videos keep going up. They keep pumping out. He didn't stop anybody. I wonder why he went through so much effort.
1: That's what you can do when you're supported and nobody knows what you do.
2: Hey, a friend of mine got on his website. He has on his website, it says, this is a picture of our family and our three beautiful kids where there's four kids in the picture. So my friend said, which one of his his kids does he think is not beautiful? (laughs) (laughs) So I actually want to,
0: I would tweet at him and ask him that question, but he's blocked me. So He's already blocked me, and I've never tweeted at him. But I did see, because the RFP family is large and wide, that him and Bill Reeves were celebrating that, IFP preacher clips got taken down, like not five minutes after it was taken down, they were celebrating 15,000 followers to zero real quick. But let's just be honest, we we have spoken with the individual behind fake sermon, but I think there's some things in the work with the RFP that might help that just continue
2: to live on. I think we need to take it to the next level, honestly. Somebody tries to take it down,
0: we take it to the next level. Like a database or something of incredible horribleness. I see that in our future.
1: Ooh. 2021
0: is looking bright.
1: I like where you're going with this. By the way, did you guys see on Twitter the guy who was attacking my dad?
2: Yeah, who you, is that you guy? You mean the kid who was attacking your dad? Yeah, what What was that guy's name? His name is Josh. I'm not sure about his last name, but he was coming after Craig Edwards. And I, I just simply said that Craig Edwards has forgotten more than this Young Punk has ever learned. (laughs) I I just wonder where he gets the gall to call out Craig Edwards.
1: Well, you you know, people ask me if it bothers me because it's my dad. I guess on some level it does. I know what you're supposed to do if somebody says something about your mom. I'm not really sure what you're supposed to do if somebody says something about your dad. But the thing is, you know, my dad has had a lifelong battle with depression. My grandmother was manic depressant. And I just want to say for for the millions of people who struggle with depression, how condescending was he with regard to people who legitimately suffer with depression as if that's what they want. And then to attribute that to sin or somehow being in opposition against God, that's absolutely ignorant. And so I want every single person hearing my voice right now through this medium called the RFP if you suffer with depression, you are not less of a believer. You are not less of a Christian. You're a person who has a legitimate health issue, and some little ignorant guy who's given a pulpit and who has things to scream about that aren't even in the Bible, he, he, needs, he needs to understand that there are medical conditions. And, you know, getting a fake doctorate doesn't give you the right to diagnose medical issues come on so maybe he just needs to keep preaching with his doctorate in independent baptist churches and leave medicine to people who actually have real doctorates and are qualified to do that
0: brian is two for two in the
2: intro not to mention he's in his 20s and he's calling out a 70 year old man who's been in the ministry over 50 years and i can say this he's very proud about how high his dress standards are that's all he seemed to talk about in that sermon besides the fact that it's a sin for anybody struggling with depression to take medication. I I just don't understand that. I mean, if we have a problem with our physical body, we take medication for it, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So what if something's wrong with our brain? What if something's wrong emotionally? Is there a time where you can take medication and and help that? I've, I've never struggled with that, but for me to call someone else out who has would just show my ignorance, which I think he did a good job of that.
1: Well, depression is real. And, um, you know, I'm thankful that my dad wrote the book. And, uh, you know, he made this accusation that my dad made depression bigger than God, which is a false accusation. And uh, here's the great news. That book has sold thousands and thousands and thousands of copies. And what he said does nothing to change the people who've contacted my dad who are on the verge of committing suicide because of their depression. And that book gave them hope something that his message didn't give anybody.
2: And coming to you, a real-time live update on the RFP. This guy's name is Josh Montgomery.
0: So, Josh Montgomery, shout out. I may need some medicine after this statement. I'm getting ready to say I'm channeling my inner Nathan here, but Andrew Schluter actually defended – fake sermon where I'm circling yes. back to the Woo. fake sermon thing. Wow. He said, I know. I don't know what's going on. I must be in the Thanksgiving mood or something. But he said, Hey, look, I own every word that I say and I'll give it to Andrew. He owns every word that yes, he says. He, he goes, somebody contacted me and he didn't say who somebody was, he said, Hey, we can get these Anon accounts sued and taken down. And he said, No, I own every word that I say. I don't care. And so Andrew Sluter I applaud you. This is a historic
2: day on the RFP.
0: I'm done. I'm I'm (laughs) depressed now. (laughs) So this episode is going to be really good. We've got Clay Maynard in the studio tonight from Panama City, Florida. And it's going to be a good episode. We've already dropped two bombs on here. Brian is two for two. And if he's this fired up in the intro, I can't wait to get into the episode to see what happens. Y'all ready to go? I'm ready. (laughs) Absolutely. That has never (laughs) happened before. (laughs) That's
2: (laughs) your signature sound, (laughs) JC. Come on. Let's go.
1: In three You know what makes women stupid is college Jesus was not a bartender bye Two
0: You have lost your mind long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches, And you know that Say amen right there One Let me tell you something, bozo They'll be selling Frosties in hell for this boy who Puts on a pair of pink underwear hey, Amen I sucked my thumb when I was 14 years of age bye everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, Brian, Nathan, and JC. Guys, we are just a few weeks away from Las Vegas. Yes, sir. Las Vegas. 2021. No more COVID. President Biden. I'm just kidding. Somebody's (laughs) head just exploded right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what 2021 holds, but I do know that we're going to start the year off right, the 25th and the 26th of January In Las Vegas at the Idea Summit, the RFP is taking over Las Vegas. It's going to be absolutely incredible.
1: I think when the people there hear the song that we're going to sing, that we're going to debut, I think that alone is worth going and signing up for, by the way, which they can do at the RFP website.
0: By going to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the Idea Summit link sign up use the promo code RFP meetup and when you do you get 10% off of your tickets for the event. We're going to be doing a live episode, we're going to be doing a Q&A and our very first meetup. I cannot wait to be in Vegas with our RFP family. And we're going to have some surprises for you too. So you need to be there. You never know who we're bringing to Vegas with us. Never. Go to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the Idea Summit, and sign up today for the Idea Summit in Las Vegas, January 25th and 26th. Hey, you know who else is going to be in Vegas with us?
2: Our wives, which is going to be incredible. But that's not the first time everybody's going to get to meet our
1: wives. That's right. Yep, because next week we're doing our RFP Thanksgiving family episode. Our wives are going to be on And I just—I've got to ask the two of you: Are you a little bit nervous about that? Not at all.
2: Terrified. I'm used to being made fun of, so no problem.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, apparently, you haven't heard Denise and Carrie's conversations, or else you might really be worried about next week.
0: I think the world is ready for that. It's going to be good. You're going to get to see a whole other side of the RFP. Because here, let's be honest: my wife did not grow up independent fundamental Baptist. I know my wife didn't either. So none of our wives grew up independent fundamental Baptists, and so what they know of the IFB is what they've learned from us. And so it'll be interesting to get their perspective on the IFB from three former
2: IFBers. So did JC just say everything our wives learned, they learned from us? That's what I
1: heard. Tweet that. (laughs) I think he might have said that. You know, I will say this about Denise. We were still on the road when Denise and I got married. And she had been brought up in a Southern Baptist church her entire life. And all of a sudden, she was brought into this independent, fundamental Baptist world. And she literally said to me, what in the world have you gotten me into? So my wife grew up Amish and left the Amish church when
0: she was about six years old. And so all she knows about the church world is... When they went traveling singing, they traveled in a Southern gospel group called Straight from the Heart or the Yoder family. That's how Amish she was. Her last name was Yoder. And so the only time she was in church was when they were getting paid to come and sing in churches. And so she's seen a little bit of this legalism from that world, but nothing like what we've been able to show her since this podcast has started.
1: She thought you were a liberal when she got into the uh, independent fundamental world.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, it's funny because after they left that, they actually went more Pentecostal, and so they went, you want to talk about a pendulum swing, they left Amish and went more Pentecostal because that was a lot of the churches that was having them in to sing and things like that, so she went from the super frozen to the happy clappies. So
2: And then, Nathan, your wife grew up Nazarene, right? Yeah, the, the best story from the Nazarene church was they used to have guest cards that they would hand in in the offering plates, and the... Pastor was so separated from any culture or any music that the kids would fill out fake guest cards and write like Reba McIntyre and Garth Brooks on the cards, and the pastor <laughs> would stand up and say, It's so good to have Reba McIntyre. The no and they would all be falling over, rolling, laughing in the pew. So yeah, that's about as wild and crazy as it got
0: in the Nazarene church. It's gonna be fun next week. I think I think it's gonna be exciting. And the highlight of the whole episode There's going to be 21 things I'm thankful for podcasting with Brian and Nathan because it's the 21 days of November.
1: That sounds almost like um, a Hallmark Channel kind of a movie. They need to make a movie called The 21 Days of Thanksgiving, and they could really make it unique because it could be this guy and this girl who somehow bump into each other in this Mm -hmm. boutique up in Vermont when the snow's on the ground. They could start dating and then break up. Then once she finds out he's rich, they could get back together, and there's going to be a sled there. That would be totally That's right, unique.
0: and it's going to snow after they kiss, and there's a dog. Mm. You can't forget the dog.
2: Speaking of romantic couples, Mike and Jim Peters have done a great job the last two weeks. We've heard so many comments about their episodes, and I know we're all excited about helping them
0: out. It was absolutely incredible to have them on the podcast. And they, they kind of broke some news on here that they are adopting. And uh, I know that they have already received some help from a lot of the RFP family. You can go to our social media accounts and find all the links to uh, their adoption page and give. That is part of our family, the RFP family, this community that has developed over the last 11 months. And uh, you could be part of the adoption for Mike and Jen Peters.
2: JC, could you believe it's been a year since we were sitting in Tennessee Temple's
0: coffee shop planning out our first episode? It's crazy. When you tagged me in that picture the other day that we took a year ago with that big old whiteboard sitting up there at the coffee shop at TTU where I spent a lot of hours and you spent a lot of hours and a lot of the content from this podcast Some of that stuff happened in that coffee shop right there. And I tell you what, Nate, that's where we came up with the mission statement that we exist to help and encourage those whose lives have been negatively affected by fundamentalist legalism in the church and to challenge those who promote tradition over scripture. And, you know, just beginning to dream about what this would look like. And how we knew that God was laying this on our hearts. And even before we knew Brian was going to jump on board, I mean, that, it was that day when we left that we're like, let's get Brian Edwards on board. You remember that? And I was yeah. like, let's go. This is about to go to a whole nother level. Thank you, Ed Young. And man, did it ever. This is uh, we're almost a year into this and our one year anniversary is going to be spent in Vegas
1: Man, that's amazing. You know, I think it'd be cool if we did like a Q&A episode. Since we're coming up on a year, maybe there are things that people have heard over time and they would love to send in their questions. I think that would be a cool way to celebrate one year of the RFP. Since we're doing a live q and I think it'd be cool if we did maybe a podcast q and
0: I think that's a great idea. 2020 has definitely been a crazy year. I was talking to somebody today that said, hey, just going to be honest. Nathan, Brian, and your voice is kind of what I'm going to remember when I think about quarantine, because it was listening to the RFP and y'all's voices are what I think back to the two or three, four weeks on lockdown. I look forward to Wednesdays and your voice is kind of the soundtrack to what quarantine. And I was like, well, thank you. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we'll be known for it. So the good thing to come out of 2020 in a year that was absolutely crazy has been the RFP and just the community that has been formed uh, from this podcast. Man, we are so grateful. I'll be honest with you. We are almost to the end of 2020. And I think it would be absolutely incredible and mind-blowing if we could hit 1 million downloads by 2021. We are almost there. Almost there. What we need the RFP family to do is in this next six weeks that we have until 2021 hits is share the fire out of this podcast on social media, uh, with your friends, with your family. Just get the word out. Click subscribe, click like, click share, leave us a review. That's even crazy that we're saying that, but we're that close. And it's crazy that
2: our most popular episode ever has gone over 17,000 downloads. 17,000 for one episode.
1: 17,000 people. That's like larger than the town I grew up in.
0: (laughs) So help the RFP get to 1 million downloads. We are on that trajectory, and we are excited about doing that in the year 2020. 2021 is going to be absolutely incredible. We've just begun, and tonight we are excited to have on the program with us all the way from Panama City. He is live in the J Radio studios with Nathan. It is Clay Maynard. Clay? Welcome to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast.
3: Thank you so much. It's great to be with you guys. We were on our way up anyway for vacation here in uh, Southern Tennessee, and when I realized how close the J Radio Studios was and that Nathan was here, I was like, man, we got to see if we can make this happen. Especially since I'm such a fan of the show, I realized I can make my pilgrimage to the Mecca of the Trendies.
0: Come on, yes! (laughs) Man. Mecca of the Trendies. I love it. (laughs) Tweet that. that. So when did you start listening to the podcast?
3: I first heard about the podcast uh, by uh, somebody shared one of Brian Edwards' tweets. And, you know, if you're from the Independent Fundamental Baptist world, there's that insider lingo, and mm-hmm. his tweet was straight fire. You know, he likes to— Oh, yeah. He gets nursery rhymes over there on his Twitter page. And, you know, I, so I saw it, and I was like, who is this guy? And so I went to his Twitter page, saw the link, clicked on it, And I pressed play, and it was all over. And I want to say that was March of this year. And then by the time it was July-August, I was blowing through as many of them as I could, and I've
2: listened to every single one of your guys' podcasts. Well, I remember when Clay first sent us an email and told his story. The crazy thing is... Uh we're actually related by by very very like very far distance in laws of in-laws We're brothers from another mother in another way. we were both raised in boys' homes, and I know Clay's gonna share his story, but we grew up the same way, and hey, I think we turned out okay. I mean, I guess so. Come on <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
1: Clay, are you positive about everything no matter what?
0: No, not really. I don't do that. Do you thank the dentist for giving you a root canal? <laughs> I'm not that bad.
2: I mean, come on. That's
1: Nathan for that. That was a good one.
2: So we're gonna hear Clay's story tonight. I know Clay has over prepared. He is a really smart guy, and he's passionate about what he does. So Clay, why don't you take us back, share your story with us, and let us know what it is that got you here with us tonight. Sure. Yeah. So I, I
3: uh, my introduction to the independent Baptist world, uh, as Brian Edwards said, was birth. These people are, many of them still incredibly dear to me and mean a lot to me. And one of the things that I always have loved about your podcast, by the way, is that even though we're very serious about the issues and the doctrine matters and the scripture matters, uh, it's not about taking shots or belittling people. Um, and so one of the things I've always loved about it is that you know, I can grow as a person and as a Christian and in my knowledge of the word. And it doesn't mean, I I mean, we might joke about the standards and have a good laugh about some of the crazier elements of the movement. And it doesn't mean we don't have very serious disagreements. But you you guys have never been about belittling people. And I I kind of just wanted to re- reiterate that for myself as I tell this story, you know, that, that uh, my parents, um, so many people who had an influence in my life. It's not that we think they're terrible, they have bad intentions or that they're bad people or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I would even say my parents raised me uh, just as just the kind of parents they were. Um, they raised me with character. They taught me that Jesus, he never changes. You can trust him, and when men fail you, uh, he'll be your hope. Uh, they taught me to trust the authority of Scripture. Yeah. Um, and so those things, not only are they so much a part of who I am even today, they really became the foundation for even the evolution that God took me on as I got older. And so I just wanted to say that up front. But I was, I was born and raised in Panama City, Florida. Uh, my dad is a graduate of Liberty University, actually. It was Liberty Baptist College back in those days. He came through the Air Force to Panama City where he met my mom. My mom actually was saved in a, a Southern Baptist church there in Panama City. Her father got saved there after her. And after that, they ended up joining a local uh, independent Baptist church. The church they actually started together was with another group of people there was Fellowship Baptist Church, which is the church I now attend and, and serve in. So that was an independent Baptist church there in Panama City. Uh my mom's father, my grandfather got linked up with a lot of Ruckman's uh group down there in the Panhandle of Florida. They're really they run really thick down there in the Panhandle. Yeah. And um and so my dad, when he came to Florida, he went to Fellowship Baptist, met my mom, uh and in time they ended up moving to a different church there in Panama City, Florida. And now I was born in that next that church that second church that we were at down there um and so i was born you guys have said this before but i love it i was born an independent fundamental bible believing devil hating pew jumping soul saving spit slinging king james only baptist
2: yeah amen that's the only kind
3: (laughs) and so uh in my offering (laughs) And so my parents, um, they started at the children's home. They surrendered to the full-time ministry uh, and started a children's home when I was five years old. Uh, So my entire childhood, I didn't know anything but full-time ministry. Uh, My parents brought in, over the next 20-plus years, over 200 kids into their home. It started in a double-wide mobile home. At one point, we had 17 people living in this double-wide mobile home. That included my family. Uh, We were actually sleeping, me and my two brothers, were sleeping in
2: my parents' bedroom on the floor for about four or five years of that. And the crazy thing about this podcast is that it's it's brought people together. Like, when we found out that JC and Brian had a connection the very first time they met, they knew so many people. So, Clay, tell us a story about when your dad visited my dad's boys' home.
3: Yeah, so my dad, when I started talking to my dad about the podcast, he knew who nathan's father was right away and remembers nathan it turns out we were in a lot of the very same camp meetings and revival meetings i don't remember nathan he doesn't remember me i was a kid he was he must have been a teenager around that time but our dads immediately knew each other or uh when we mentioned it to him and so we were in a lot of the very same meetings and listening to a lot of the same preachers we've been telling
2: stories over the last day or two yeah um and before your dad started the boys home he visited my dad's boys home and and talk to him about yeah. what that would look like. It
3: was in the early days of the boys' home that my dad started that he was encouraged to go visit several other children's homes and just see how they were doing things and, and learn from it. And so he he did. And one of the places he
2: went was to Georgia, uh, where he hung out with uh, Brother Cravat, <laughs> to the Blessed Hope Baptist Mission and boys' home.
1: Well, you know, you're talking about your and Clay's connection, and then you just briefly mentioned mine and J.C.'s connection. But what you may not realize is... My dad went to Tennessee Temple. So after my dad became a Christian, he and my mom moved to Chattanooga. Well, my dad's sister came to visit and met J.C.'s first cousin, and they got married. And then, you know, J.C. and I are related, too. I, I just feel like I need to get in what? on this, J.C., somehow. <laughs> so your aunt is my Chinese neighbor named Susan. Yes. So I you knew just made all that up, there. Brian. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just envious of all this connection over here. <laughs> now, I'm just
0: sorry, uh, Clay, that you're spending your entire vacation with Nathan. <laughs> hey, we've had a blast. We
2: were up till almost midnight last night. We sure were. Eating ice cream from Dairy Queen. It's it. Yeah, Nathan
3: was so kind. He brought over ice cream for us, uh, came over to the Airbnb where we are staying, and had, just had a great time. We probably could have talked all night if we yeah. wanted to.
0: The problem is you tweeted out a picture with you two, so you're labeled, bro.
3: I did. I don't know if you notice. Uh, I don't know if it's included in the picture or not, but we're actually wearing the same shoes.
0: Yep. Now his That's are his cute. are a little
3: bit more mm. old pads than mine. Yeah, they've been worn <laughs> might a little have been bit around longer. a little bit more.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. couldn't yeah, but, see him for those skinny jeans.
3: Yeah, but I'm I'm aware that I'm gonna get uh I'm gonna get labeled now. I guess uh, trendy. Now that I was there, but... welcome to the family,
0: <laughs> gutter snipe.
3: yeah so those early days at the at the at the children's home I I have a lot of great memories Um, some of the ways God's provided for us almost it felt like miraculously and I learned a lot in those days you know I felt like so many times we were just alive by the generosity of God's people and and God Hmm. leading
2: people to give and and so like there's a dozen stories about that I'm not sure anybody realizes how poor we were Growing up in the children's homes, yes. I mean, we, we told stories about that last night. Yeah, if it weren't for food banks, we would have starved to death. Oh yeah,
3: and the food bank would drop off in our case sometimes like forty cases of uh, of instant mashed potatoes. So we had instant mashed potatoes every night for dinner until they were gone.
2: Same story.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so it was nuts. So in, yeah, in the process of my childhood, we went from that church to another church there, um, in ta- in Panama City. Uh, at that church, I actually became a church pianist. I was twelve years old when I became a church pianist. Wow. Um, and so that was great, and it was a great experience for me, and it got me in, more into music. We had always, our family had always loved music, and that just uh, solidified that and gave me a place to serve. My dad at some point decided to start his own church. I was about 15 uh, when my dad started his church, and I was actually there where, when I met my wife. Um, so my dad had a connection with my wife's father from, they actually went to missionary candidate school back in, uh, back at Homer Smith's Word for the World oh, yeah. Missions Candidate Schools. And so he knew her dad and we, my dad wanted us to go over and visit them in the Netherlands where they had been serving as missionaries for, you know, close to 15 years. Um, And so we went over there, I met her and it was all history after that. But we got married uh, and we went after, after we got married, we went to my dad's church for several more years um, after that. Uh, And that was about the time after I got married that I started to really, I must've been about 19 or 20 years old. When I started to realize was something was really wrong, uh, with the way a lot of the independent Baptists that I knew, uh, or I, and I had been around, were doing things, uh, that's when that realization really started to happen. You got to understand at the time, too, I was functionally my dad's assistant there at the church. Um, I was preaching at least half a dozen times a year um, when he would pre- travel to preach or go on vacation. Um, I had been invited at that year uh, to preach at a youth rally where there was over 200 kids, And, you know, I was just letting it rip. You know, I was preaching the straight and narrow as I saw it at the time. The problem was after I got married, I just became a regular church member at an IFB church. So I I was the preacher's kid up to that point, which certainly didn't insulate me from criticism. We know how that goes. But it did shift my perspective after I got married um, and I just became a member in the church. Uh, And I, I started to see a lot of things that were wrong that I had never noticed before. And I didn't know how to articulate it, but you just know when you're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life and you start, and and things grieve you and you don't, I I didn't know what it was, but I remember just thinking, this ain't it, you know? And I just remember that realization uh, being big to me. So what did I do? I just said, well, I'm going to dig into the word. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out why I'm wrong, You know, and that was my understanding is everybody can't be wrong. It must be me, which I found out one of the most dangerous things you can do is read your Bible um, as a Christian. And so God started really changing my heart. Um, I started to look within myself and I started to see what I call now a devastating spirit of pride that I had. And a few other things were contributing to it, too. I, I had gotten a job out in the community and I met a... I met a young man who was going to a Southern Baptist church. He was actually going to St. Andrew's Baptist, uh, JC, um, there in Panama City. And so I— Shout
0: out, Mark Bateman.
3: Shout out. Yeah, so I—and young man that was going there, and he had such a spirit of love and a desire to know God more and a desire to learn the Word of God— now when I first met him, I remember thinking, "Oh, he just doesn't know what I know. He just doesn't have the truth the way that I do. He doesn't live the way he should. He just he's just a, you know, he goes to one of these churches that don't teach the whole counsel of God." So I'll just I'll just be that kind of influence on him. And then as time went on, I started to realize the only influence I was bringing that to the relationship was pride. Mm. I really saw it contrast with here I was supposed to be so much more spiritually advanced and sanctified than he was. And yet I was under conviction because of his love for God and his desire to know God more and his dedication to searching the scriptures. And here I am sitting like I know everything, and somehow I'm supposed to be the one in a superior spiritual position. Um, and so that was a very convicting thing. That was one of the bigger things.
2: But that was what was ingrained in us. We're we're the remnant. We're the only ones yeah. that have all the truth. Yeah, we're the special forces of God's army. Exactly, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, But Clay, wouldn't you agree that uh, it's a difficult season in your sanctification when God starts to tear down pride and you start to understand how sinful it is, how depraved it is, how vile and wicked it is. And, And then once that pride starts to be broken down, you start to be made aware of all of these other sins in your life that you haven't even been aware of over time so that once the walls of pride crumble, it, it just allows you to have clear visibility into who you really are and how desperately in need of Jesus you are.
0: You know, what I always thought was an oxymoron was listening to these guys preach that pride comes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Yet a lot of the guys that were preaching it were some of the most prideful individuals and were not working through that own sanctification there. And I always found that very interesting that they're preaching it, but there's a contradiction between what they preached and what they lived. Yeah, they're,
3: you're absolutely right about that, guys. They, when you start to realize it, and I wasn't even able to really to articulate what was going on in my heart. I just knew it was happening. And one of the misconceptions you guys get, and that I know that I have gotten, is that what happened is you got rebel. The sort of the way they describe it is you got rebellious. You didn't want to live by the rules, and so right. you got rebellious, and then you started speaking out because you didn't like, you didn't want to live holy. What actually happened? was God started doing something in my heart, and I was under such conviction that I started shifting the focus in my life onto things that I had never focused on before. Brian, you were talking about pride. It acts as a as a shield for a whole list of sins in your life. And so in your blind spot, when you have that religious pride, there is a whole list of sins that's growing in the darkness that you can't see. It's just a blind spot because you're so proud. And so that breaking down, that sanct- God beginning that, process of sanctification in me. That was I agree with you. That was the most difficult part because you don't know really how to explain what's happening in you, but God is doing a work.
1: Yeah, Clay, one of the things I've always loved hearing my dad say that it's it's just a great reminder, God help me to be as aware of sin in my own life as I am in the lives of other people. Mm, that's good. Amen to that.
2: CS Lewis said that pride is the mother of all sins. It's a sin that all sins Spring from
3: yeah, and if to that point, Nathan, we like to rank sins in Christianity in a way often that God doesn't. Yeah. But if you wanted to read the Bible and actually come away with a belief that He hates one thing more than anything else, I don't know how you can read the Bible without believing that that sin would have to be pride. Yeah,
1: yeah, in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, you know, the Apostle Paul is speaking in reference to his gifts. Um, he he's even admitting, "I should be quiet. I shouldn't be saying this." But I'm not going to stop. And then in Second Corinthians chapter 12, he's given a thorn in the flesh. And he's saying, I will gladly glory in my weaknesses. So the difference between the Apostle Paul in chapter 11 and chapter 12 is vast. And I know a lot of people will have issue with that because we want to believe, you know, the Apostle Paul had some level of infallibility, but he didn't. God couldn't use an arrogant, proud Paul. God could only use a humbled Paul. And so God gave him a thorn in the flesh that carried out that work of humility in his life.
3: Yeah, amen to that. I, I, the One of the other big factors to me, on top of what God had already started in my heart, was I started listening to some preachers that were outside of my typical faith tradition. Guys like Matt Chandler, David Platt, the biggest influence, I would have to say, it was Tim Keller uh, in my life. Those guys will mess up the IFB narrative, I'm telling you what. Yeah, and, and so I started, and so because of those influences, and as, as well as what God was doing in my life, I started reading the Bible differently even. Um, I started reading it to find out what God thinks, to find out what God loves, instead of looking for things to make me look good, and instead of looking for things that make good camp meeting sermons. Hmm. Um, which is what I had tended to focus on up to that point when reading the Bible, because I was a young preacher boy. That's really just what I was looking for, um, and, I, and that shift that shift happened and it changed my life. I remember a particular sermon that Tim Keller preached on the prodigal sons. He called it multiple. He said there wasn't just one prodigal. We call that the story of the prodigal son. The scripture doesn't call it that. Um, and in the story, there were two sons that were far from the heart of the father, and I had ne- that shook me. I wept when I first heard that message because that was my blind spot. I was the elder brother. And guys, I was not like people talk about being a bad kid. I was a bad kid, but they didn't think so. I was a mess in my heart with pride, but the system that had been built in the independent Baptist movement was not equipped to deal with that sin. So what I ended up seeing was I was the elder brother, and and so that elder brother came out of the shadows to me, and I realized I was him. Um, Wow. And then I realized that the kid in the pig pen is actually closer to Mm -hmm. repentance and redemption with the Father
2: than was the prideful follower of the rules. Which is really why Jesus was telling this parable in the first place. He's telling it to the Pharisees, pointing out that they are looking down on all these sinners that Jesus came to save, and they were missing out on the salvation. Yep. Yeah. Because they followed the rules. And at the end of that story, it's the prideful
3: guy who follows all the rules that sits outside the party while the man who's dwelled with prostitutes celebrates the father's love. And I started to see the point that Jesus was actually making. And I was the elder brother and I was blown away by that. And I was humbled by it. And, you know, Nathan, you once described on a on a previous episode standing under a waterfall when truth is is when you're hearing the truth and you know it's true like like you're standing under a waterfall and it's just washing over you and it's refreshing and yet it's it's life changing and yet it hurts yeah like god's squeezing you and you said at that time you said this sounds cheesy as i'm saying it dude as you were saying that tears were almost coming to my eyes because i've lived that i experienced that mm. when i heard the truth of god's word um, and so as I discovered this stuff in my heart, I started, like I said, I started to change my, my, th- my approach. It's not that I just went out and started saying, well, I don't care about these standards anymore, and I don't do—it's not that. I just started really focusing on the, the, the travesty that my heart was. It was just a factory of idols, as one great preacher once said. And so—and by the way, I'm still doing that. I'm still—the the focus still is on my heart because it's still a mess, but then I did start deciding small things because I didn't because I was so focused on that I didn't have time to to check boxes anymore. I, and I just wasn't I didn't care about focusing on that anymore. I did start going to the you know I st- I did start believing that the Bible doesn't actually teach all the things about music that I was told it did. I w- I started to realize the Bible doesn't uh, say all the things about dress standards that I previously had thought it did, um, and I was reading it differently. So I was actually seeing what God was saying. Not what somebody was telling me God was saying. Mm. And so, and then, you know, I'd go to the theater instead of going to the red box, you know, which apparently. One is okay and the other is not. I, I, I joke that the red box is like the fundamentalist <laughs> favorite thing. You know, anything that they can do just like the world, but they can hide it and get away with it, that's, that's a great thing for... Uh, and you're for, watching the
2: exact same movie.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and somehow one's okay. So I started doing things like that. And I'll, I'll never forget one time uh, hearing a contemporary song when I was going through this transition and, God, and it just bringing tears to my eyes. God really did a, a great thing in my, in my heart during that time. And I remember spending days wrestling with the guilt because I had been taught that that song broke the rules. And on the other hand, the realization that God had used it to help me. And so I, there was this quandary, do I go with the rules or do I go with what God's doing in my life? Um, and as I changed, my surroundings changed in our church, um, I had people... That didn't understand began to talk about me, and they, you know, they a lot of them just wondered what I, what was going on with me. What's going on with him? What's what's what, why is he different? Um, and then some people who really had a hard time understanding it started treating me differently. Some people in the church actually felt like they had to protect their children from me.
1: <laughs> How should people feel when they're sitting in fundamentalist churches and choirs and groups are singing contemporary songs written by contemporary people originally put out on contemporary Christian stations? but they make them sound Southern gospel or they make them sound traditional church, and then suddenly it becomes okay to sing a contemporary song. You know, like the song I Am Redeemed that Big Daddy Weave put out. You know, now you've got all these people who would preach against contemporary Christian music doing the song that Big Daddy Weave wrote and sang. Was any of that confusing for you and how much Confusion? Do you think that causes? You know, you are a worship leader after all.
3: It causes a lot of confusion for sure, especially if you investigate the the rules. If you, if under the slightest scrutiny, you start to see that really what it boils down to is the songs that are from the contemporary sources that make it into the regular use of a church. What it really boils down to is it's the it gets the pastor's magical exception rule. He gets to say, okay, I like this song. Therefore, it slides in under the wire, and that essentially is the way it works for a lot of churches. We did have contemporary songs that were being sang in our church too. Um, I was singing most of them, and that ended up being a little bit of a problem in some cases. You know, I was saying before they these people, some of them felt like they had to protect their kids from me, and the reasons why were not because I didn't love God, were not because I wasn't committed and faithful to my wife. It wasn't because I was getting out not faithful to church. It was because I wore shorts. Uh, is because I went to the movie theater. Is because I listened to Unspoken or Matthew West or Michael W. Smith. Um, these were the things that were threatening in their minds um, the future of their children. So mm-hmm. it became very clear to me quickly that the the transformation I was experiencing, I couldn't continue to do it where
2: I was. So I think this is a good point to bring up the part of your story that is a little bit of a plot twist that I think will surprise some of our listeners that you are still. In what is an independent Baptist church? I'll correct that for for Brian
3: Edwards, unaffiliated Baptist okay, church. Okay, okay. <laughs> there <laughs> it is.
2: <laughs>
3: yes, no. I still go to an in, in, to an in, what is? I mean, we don't get all about the labels. The church I go to, it's a, we're just a Baptist church. It would have to be qualified as an independent Baptist church simply because it's not affiliated with the SBC or any other, you know, major network of churches. But it it is. You know, we're not all about putting fundamental independent on all the website and, and sign and all that stuff. So it's totally different from what you grew up in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So and, and, and when I first left my dad's church, I was, you know, I was clearly out of step with what they were doing. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't want to be a distraction there because I felt like there was just the, I felt like I was at war with myself and with people all the time. And it's just not the way. I wanted to live my life, and I didn't want to be a, to be honest with you, I wanted to be a part of a church that had the same vision for what church should be about yeah. that I now did. Um, and so I—and it was devastating because I was leaving a lot of friends. Um, I knew most of them would want very little or nothing to do with me after I left uh, because these weren't just friends. They were everybody you knew. They were your family. Um, we didn't hang out with people outside of our church. Uh, and that's a big part of the ethos for a lot of these independent Baptist churches. You don't hang out with lost people. You don't hang out with other Christians. Uh, you're kind of isolated. And so this was everyone I knew, uh, but I knew I had to leave. Um, and it was like a stone in my heart. I remember how worried I was. I remember thinking, what if I'm wrong about all this? Would I eventually leave God like, they, like they're claiming I will if I leave this church? Will, will I, if I go to any other church in town, will my kids end up going to hell? Um, w- will mm-hmm. one day my family end up in shambles because I left that church? Now, if just to anybody who's listening, if, if you've never felt this way before, you're thinking to yourself, that's crazy. If you're listening to it and you know what I'm talking about, you're like, yes. Mm-hmm. That is what it feels like. These are irrational fears. Mm-hmm. I look at my childhood. I didn't become the person I am today because I went to the perfect church. My dad ended up starting his own church because most— a couple of the churches I grew up in were not what he thought was the good a good enough church. Yeah. And so no no that's not why I became the person I am. I became I I'm, I'm the person I am today because one I was raised by Christian people who taught me who God was and that I should love him. But also because God's grace rescued my heart. That's what Amen. makes me the person I am today. And so but I thought these things. I was scared. Um and I di- I just did it scared. And that's what the standards obsession tends to do it it creates this cult like devotion and tendency to be afraid to leave uh, and afraid to lose it you think you're going to lose everything yeah um,
1: and i think some of that comes from the fact that we saw how people who left were treated and yes. how people who left were talked about you know you're either controlled or you're destroyed most of the time mm. because if you leave independent fundamentalism the language of the independent fundamentalist is that you've left god Yes. You you haven't just left that movement, you have left God and you're guilty of that.
2: They break out the first John verse that says they went out from us because they were not of us, which has nothing to do as if us is independent baptists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not <laughs> Christianity.
1: Right. Right, or or they bring out and misuse the verse that Demas forsook Paul having loved this present world. I've heard so many sermons preached on the things in the world that Demas loved more than he loved God. But what it actually means is that he loved his life. He knew if he continued with Paul, he was likely going to be a martyr, and he was afraid to die as a martyr. But, you know, they misuse those verses and and misconstrue those verses. And Why
3: can't anybody be Barnabas? That's my question. Why is that not possible, that we just see things differently, and I'm praying that God uses you, and you pray that God uses me, and we be peaceful even though we disagree, where is, where is the space for that in the Mm. Christian world, in the, in the Baptist world?
1: That's a good
2: word, Clay. I heard a quote today that said, when we argue, we should argue to understand not to win. I've been thinking about that all day. When we argue, we're trying to win the argument. But what if we held discussions with people to understand where they're coming from? I think that would make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. When I left, I remember I was treated very differently by a lot of
3: those people. And I I want to be clear, I still have great friends that were part of that church. Um, But some of them just didn't know how to see me after that. And they were in this quandary of loving me and yet not wanting to show disloyalty to their church, even though I had left the fold. Their, Their feeling was, and the narrative immediately became, why would he leave? Doesn't he want to be holy? It must just be that he doesn't want standards anymore. It must just be he can't handle that hard preaching anymore. Um, because that's always the verdict when somebody leaves an independent Baptist church. Um, yep. And the truth is, when I first left, I couldn't I couldn't find a church in the area that I fit in with. I was like I was so awkward with my understanding of ecclesiology that I had a hard time fitting in anywhere where there, where they didn't check enough of the boxes. Even though I knew that was wrong, I, I just couldn't feel at peace anywhere. We ended up starting a church um, that I pastored for about two and a half years. And we had some g- great days in those in that time period, but the truth is we didn't grow. Um, we didn't get a lot accomplished outside of just ourselves. But the truth is I look back on those days now and I realize that that was God's time period to detox me mm. from what I'd been in and to allow me to dig into the word more without the outside voices that I'd always always heard. And so we never had more than a small handful of people at that church. And I started to realize that it was I was too limited as a leader to really grow a church that there were things I needed to learn. So after praying a while uh, about this, God sent somebody my way who said, hey, you need to go to Fellowship Baptist Church. Like I told you guys before, my grandparents went there. That's where my parents met before before I was born. And so I was like, that's my grandparents' church. I'm not going over there. I already know what they're about. I went with my grandparents many times. I know what that's about. And they were like, no, you got to go. They got a new pastor. Um, You need to go check it out. And so after praying about it, I went and, I mean, could you believe it? I ended up being at an independent Baptist church. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm honest enough to say it was, it's a unicorn. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you guys have a lot of experience in the independent Baptist world, so I know who I'm talking to. But I, from the ages of 5 to 15 years old, I was in, it's conservative to say, hundreds of churches. Mm-hmm on deputation, raising yeah. funds for the boys' home. And um, hmm. like you guys have mentioned in the past, in one week, I've heard 15, 20 sermons in a week. But here I was at this independent Baptist church, something I not was not sure existed anymore. For several years, my wife could would attest to this, we asked ourselves a thousand times, can there be a, a church that takes God's word seriously, that that is not just too soft on everything, that that really wants to pursue the meat of the word, but is not jerks to people. Can't that be? Man, I love that. Can't that exist? Isn't there somebody out there doing this? I really felt alone. I wish yeah. I'd known who you were, Brian. I really do, because you because you were the maverick man. But I didn't. I, you do feel alone because in those environments you're often very isolated. It's your circle and your bubble, and nobody else
1: exists. Well, here's what I love about this podcast tonight. Number one, Clay, you're you're a really intelligent guy. It's obvious that you have a passion, a love for the Word of God. You're skilled in the Word of God. I mean, you're articulate. You're just a great guy. But this is what I love about this. For everybody who says that we are anti-independent Baptist, (laughs) you prove that incorrect. I think it's awesome that you're still in an independent Baptist church that is a great church in love with Jesus. They're not attacking You know, everyone, they're not saying ignorant things. It's not all of the insanity. And so, you know, for everyone who's listening, and and you would say the RFP is anti-independent Baptist. No, if we were, we wouldn't be such dear friends with Clay Maynard, and we wouldn't believe in the ministry that he's a part of. So to answer Tommy
0: McWherty, who tweeted at me last night that we only have clowns on the podcast who will tickle our ears and say good things about us, and we will never have anybody on that challenges or is independent fundamental Baptist. Tommy, meet Clay Maynard. <laughs> Tommy
2: McWherty. <laughs> that's awesome. How do you say it. it?
0: It's McMurtry, but I like how you say it
2: better. <laughs> I'll go McWherty. That's That's awesome. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so it was just great, guys. I I go into a church that, that took God seriously, that took his word seriously, that took loving people seriously, and just focused on unity in the gospel. That was just such an amazing thing to be a part of, and I've been there for about two and a half years now. I, I'm actually, I'm the small group leader for the young adults, or we've got about 20 of us. Um, I'm the worship pastor, a worship leader there now. Um, you have small just, groups? Yes, sir. Um, yes. not, not just sunday school
0: breaking that mold baby
3: no sir we do we do small groups as well do
0: your small groups meet on sunday mornings at 9:45 a.m
3: they meet at four o'clock on sunday afternoons Woo.
0: do you not have sunday night service we do not have sunday night service what oh my gosh you can't get two offerings in one day if you don't have sunday <laughs> night service <laughs> <laughs> but then but
3: but we get the rest part in that's a weird thing, but we do get Sabbath. That part We don't in. we don't
0: talk about Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, we
3: we don't do
1: that. Yeah, imagine if people actually took time to spend with their own family and disciple their own children. You know, it recently came out clay that um the average family in America has 4 minutes or less of meaningful conversation a day together. And we believe that Sunday night is better invested in the family than it is people listening to one more sermon that I'm going to preach because, let's be honest, most of the time Sunday night is cold leftovers for the people that we know is going to be there anyway. Amen amen to that. I
3: guess I won't make it on the front page of the Sword of the Lord with one of my sermons that way, but um, I I still like it better. I'll I'll take what I'm doing. Is that Um, still a thing, Sword (laughs) of the Lord? Well, there was a clip from... from one of the uh, common subjects of IFB Preacher Clips saying that uh, he had to, the only way for him to be on the front cover of the sword of the Lord as many times as his sermons were, and the only way to get booked as many times a year as he's able to be booked is to miss anniversaries and birthdays and holidays with his family. And he actually encouraged younger
1: evangelists to do that. To, he said, yeah, John yeah. Hamblin,
0: that's a load of junk.
1: Well, I did that and almost destroyed my marriage, my family and everything else And the church is the bride of Christ, not the bride of the pastor, nor the bride of the evangelist. And I know an evangelist that took that model,
0: and years later it's out that he's got four or five girlfriends in four or five different cities. So he's neglecting the family and wife at home doing the Lord's work, but there's four or five girlfriends in four or five different cities. Some's not adding up there. How sad is it
3: that— Elderly evangelist was approached by two younger evangelists asking him how to be famous instead of how to be faithful, Mm. and he encouraged them to do the first. Oh,
1: wow! That is powerful. And he
3: encouraged them on how to do the first. Mm. Wow! And didn't even answer how to do the second. Clay, my gosh! Clay's got some zinger,
0: man. That's it, right there. I'm done. I'm telling you, you just dropped a truth (laughs) bomb, teaching them how to be famous, not faithful.
1: Is it okay to have silence on the podcast for a month? I feel like I need to go
0: I need to go run a lap, take a shower, walk around the house seven times, blow a shofar. I don't know what to Come do on. right now. You guys are too I nice. feel like Damn. we just
1: need to experience the reverberations of what he just said.
0: He's teaching them how to be famous, not faithful.
2: Hmm. Wow. Hey, speaking of zingers. Clay, you've, you've had a couple of tweets that have kind of blown <laughs> things up a little bit. Why don't you share a few of those with us? Sure. So I tweeted this. If you are never told
3: that the little leaven in Galatians 5 is about extra-biblical rules, that the seared conscience in 1 Timothy 4 is a result of legalism as well, and that rebuke before all in 1 Timothy 5 is actually about hypocritical church leadership— you should find a new church. Dude.
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: (laughs) Bet that caused some waves.
3: Yeah, I was getting some direct messages on that one.
1: That is pure fire.
0: That's a line in the sand type of tweet right there. I did one other
3: one on Facebook that got me in some trouble. It said this. Since being set free from a mindset of legalism, the only attempts to bring me under unbiblical guilt Has been Satan, the accuser of the brethren and fundamentalist preachers.
0: Whoa. Oh my. It's getting
1: hot up in here. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it, Clay. Did you ever know that you're my hero? (laughs) You
2: got Brian Edwards singing, Clay. You know you've done something right. I mean, we could just end the podcast right now. So before we do that, before we end the podcast, could you hit some of the high points of what it was that led you away? From the IFB mindset, even though you're still in a Baptist church. Yes, I, I would say the, the
3: two big things were legalism and broken pastoral authority. Mm. Mm. Uh, the legalism boils down to, to me, the doctrine of sanctification. If you get this doctrine right, it, it solves so many of the problems. They believe a version of sanctification— Mm-hmm. Um, that basically says, "He which hath begun a good work in you will let you take a whack at it until the day of Jesus Christ."
2: Mm. Uh,
3: they don't mm. actually believe that. Oh you're, my goodness! They don't actually believe you're completely perfect and accepted and justified in Christ. They say they do, and I think for for salvation they do because if you nail them down on it, they'll they'll agree with you. But they preach for Christians as if it's not true. They live their life in guilt as if it's not true. And that, mm. that lack of feeling accepted in the beloved actually robs them of the real power for sanctification, mm. which is that they are accepted in Christ. Pastor Josh, the guy that I'm going to do the podcast, our podcast with, and we'll get to that here in a minute, um, he says, Without the gospel for salvation, you have no hope. But without mm. the gospel for sanctification, you have no change. And so they live in guilt. You know, if they're just good enough, if God will be pleased, if it's guilt-based motivation, and so it's basically I've called it the prosperity gospel for sanctification. So think about Man. it. The prosperity gospel for salvation says, if you just come to Jesus, your life will be wonderful. You'll have material possessions, and it'll be easy. The prosperity gospel for sanctification says, well, if you just check these boxes and obey these rules, <laughs> wow. God's going to give you a spiritually successful life. Your kids will turn out great. Souls will be saved. Your kids are going to marry great people and have wonderful marriages. And you're going to soar in victory in your Christian life like your favorite traveling evangelist. My, Ooh, goodness. my goodness. my goodness, It's the prosperity gospel for sanctification. And what I, what, I, <laughs> what I came to realize is we don't just need the real gospel for salvation. We need the real gospel for sanctification, which mm. that is you have no power in your flesh to change yourself, and it's only the Spirit of God. That is going to grow the fruits of the Spirit in your life, and it's not going to be some external checklist where you check the boxes. Uh, you're, no, in matter of fact, that traveling evangelist struggles just like you do. He might mm. soar in his cholesterol from the camp meeting meals, but he's not oh, soaring oh. in victory like yes. he makes himself look. The way these guys preach is that they're just—if you could just—if att- you could just attain their level, and it's prosperity gospel for yeah. sanctification. So it's-
2: you actually had this conversation with another pastor can you read a little bit of that just the high points of that brian hey this is gonna blow your mind
1: hey before he reads that nathan you're there with with clay does he look enough like me that i could adopt him as a son
2: (laughs) (laughs) he's the son you give him him a high five for me
0: (laughs) give him a high five for me because that's fire there we go so I mean, that's back-to-back weeks. We had Mike Peters, 10 Reasons I Left the IFB, and now Clay Maynard just dropping straight bombs. So I, I had this great conversation
3: Nathan was just talking about with another pastor in Panama City. He's an independent Baptist, and I already knew how this was going to go. But I posted something on Facebook that essentially said, your relationship with God is received, not achieved. Mm. I didn't come up with that. I believe that's Tim Keller that says yeah. that. Um, But it was a whole post, and that was the gist, and that was the main quote of it. He responds to me, basically says, This is true of the salvation relationship. After salvation, the relationship is measured. My response to him was to say, Do you believe that your relationship with God since your salvation has primarily been a product of you maintaining God's favor by your goodness? Or do you still think it's a gift of God's grace received by Christ's righteousness? His answer to me, After salvation... Christ doesn't obey God each day. I do.
2: Mm. Mm. Ooh, mm.
0: this
3: is an
2: That independent, is so this is an, false. This is
3: an independent Baptist pastor. He says, I get eternal life because of Christ's obedience to the Father. I get rewards and a crown because of my obedience to him. I get to rule and reign as fellow heirs in the New Jerusalem because of my obedience to him.
2: That is straight up
0: heresy. <laughs> That's Mormonism. Do for by grace you're saved through faith only after you've done all you can do like that's that's cult mentality. Uh. Yep, it's and yeah, it, that's that,
1: actually that, frightening.
0: That blew my mind. And what and what
3: it gets back to is legalism. This is yep. what it gets back to. It's legalism is religionized pride. So when you believe this about sanctification, your works give you glory, not God. That's, mm-hmm. why th- that's where all the pride comes from, and that's where we hear all the gloating sermons. It's, it's, it's the opposite of—I uh, hate to keep referencing Tim Keller. I just love him. He says, when you got saved, you were poor in spirit, because that's the posture of your heart when God justifies you, that you're totally bankrupt spiritually. You have nothing to offer God. Your best effort made the world a mess and killed God's son. That's, that's, mm. the, that's how desperate we are for help. But the attitude of a lot of these IFB guys is, well, I was a sinner in need of salvation. But look at me now. God has really got a bargain when he, with me when, it, when he compare me to others. Mm. Look at what I've accomplished. Look how polished up I am. And what Keller says is, you're basically now middle class in spirit. <laughs> you, which basically says, yeah, God had to save me, but I've really made it up to him when you think about it. That's how cheap it makes God's blood look. Mm. And how low mm. a view of grace you have when you, when you have that kind of pride. And by the way, if you had that attitude when you got saved, a middle-class attitude, you didn't get saved. Yeah.
2: Come on.
1: Well, you know, Tim Keller right now is having health problems, so I'm not going to call him out on on taking my quotes until <laughs> he's recovered.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love it.
1: Yeah, and so I,
3: basically what it boils down to, they want black and white rules for everything because it's formulaic and it's simple. Um, but that's not the way a relationship with God works. And the only reason they want those formulaic rules is because they want guaranteed results. That's why I say this is the the prosperity gospel for sanctification. They just want a predictable result. They want to try to guarantee results. But it's not how it works. We need the real gospel for sanctification too. Uh, When I can keep every rule you've made, when I can achieve leadership status in an independent Baptist church and get a claim from leadership and be publicly praised and not have moved one inch on the fruit of the Spirit, then your belief in sanctification is broken. Mm. Mm. Um, and so the results of that for the congregation are devastating. In my experience, they do one of four things. They either, they either apostate, mm-hmm. they can't separate the rules from Jesus, they don't know how to, they don't see the, the Bible what the Bible actually says, so they just leave. Well, if God's going to be mad at me all the time anyway, I'm, I'll just be done. I might as well have fun while I'm at it. Yeah. I'm gone. The other thing they do is you turn into a hypocrite. We've talked about that. You don't actually follow the rules you're claiming to follow. That's the, that's the big joke, yeah. is that nobody's actually living up regardless of how often the preachers pretend they are. Um, and so the third thing is defeat. And this is a lot of these members in these Baptist mm-hmm. churches. They just live defeated. I can't ever, I just, what am I supposed to do? I just never succeed. Mm-hmm. God's never going to be happy with me. And of course, the last option is the option God blessed me with. And that's grace. Mm-hmm. You know, he showed me the way out and it's difficult and it's hard. And if you're, if you're going through that, it is so difficult. It's, I've compared it to, compared it to pulling weeds out of the ground that are so big, they've tangled roots with the plants. Mm. And so, when you're pulling legalism out of your heart, you're, what the problem is because you've been taught these things alongside truth for so long, sometimes you start pulling up the truth too, and you have to sit there and replant the truth and water it and replant it wow. and baby it, and 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 it's a difficult thing to do. And the problem is, it keeps growing just like other weeds. Yeah. And we we talk and about that being is recovering. So good. We're recovering fundamentalists. We mean the recovering. Yeah. We're still sinners, and this stuff still crops up in and our I, heart. Um, and if you know that, I'll be look, man. We just need to know God is we're accepted. God can't be unhappy with Jesus, and that's mm. who He sees when He looks at us. If God chased us when we're, when we were an enemy, where do you see in Scripture that He's going to beat you down and punish you for trying to serve Him and falling short? Man, you that's know we're good. sons, and we still often think like slaves. And these preachers, man, they they I hate to be this harsh about it, but they lie about God.
1: Mm. Well, Clay, how old are you? First of all, I'm 29. Well, do you know what really encourages me? Number one, I'm encouraged by uh, the depth that I see in you. You've said things tonight that are more profound than the leading independent fundamental evangelist have ever said in all of their years Never. on the road. Yeah, you, you can listen to all of their alliterated sermons, and they haven't gotten anywhere close to to the magnitude of what you've shared tonight. The second thing I would say is this, guys, and I say this specifically to J.C. and to Nathan, have you noticed these young, young guys that are coming out of fundamentalism? Fundamentalism actually has worked a positive because when they come out, they have a better understanding of grace, a greater appreciation for truth, a deeper sense of conviction we're seeing guys like Clay Maynard like Mike Peters we're, we're interviewing guys of this quality so that fundamentalism has actually worked a positive work in the end these guys come away from it and then they understand what salvation and sanctification is not
2: Yeah, and that's one of the things I've always said, that I'm thankful for my background in fundamentalism, because it made me dive in deeper and search for the truth. And the struggles I went through, the not being able to measure up, the desperation, the pride, all the emptiness that came from that, it made me go deeper in my walk with Christ.
0: I think so many say that they're leaving because they're rebelling or they're turning to the world. When all honesty, they're discovering truth. And we've always heard the saying, truth is what sets you free. Their truth is finally not fearing a challenge, and it's consistent with itself. It's correlating with reality. It's just they're discovering what real truth is, and they're finding that in Jesus, the truth that he's come to give us, not these man-made rules, which is exactly why we started this podcast.
3: Yeah, JC, absolutely. And that truth, when you see see it, you can't unsee it. Mm. That's one of my right. favorite quotes. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. The second thing that really stuck out to me was the pastoral authority issue. When you think about legalism, just on a le- logical level, legalism requires authoritarian pastors. Yeah. If extra rules are going to be made that you don't have scripture for, somebody's got to make them because it's not the Bible. So whoever you give that power to, by definition, is already above scripturally given authority. mm so legalism invites that unaccountable power by definition, uh, and so it just makes sense that there's going to be spiritual abuse that flows from that, and it inevitably leads to all the bad preaching, um, and because that be, that just flows from that, um, there's the the focus on reproving, rebuking, exhorting, all that stuff, but there's not on the context of that verse, which is preach the word, yeah, not opinions. Um, I want to leave you guys this as well on this subject i had a an independent baptist preacher who is scorned today by many in the movement but he said publicly that he did not like the way independent baptist preachers pointed to moses and old testament monarchs as examples of a new testament pastor because he said it didn't it it wasn't appropriate for them to compare it that way and he said publicly this he said you know i found a great old testament Type of a New Testament pastor. It's not what you'd think, but I think it works really well. Listen to this. He said, Esther, in the book of Esther, you have the eunuch. The eunuch was the man who was responsible for helping those women become ready for their night with the king. And they spent months in purification. He said, the eunuch was made a eunuch so that while the king was away, the king did not have to worry about him turning the affection of the king's wife to himself. And so basically what he was saying is Jesus is away. The New Testament pastor has a problem when he starts trying to turn the affection of the king's family toward himself in the absence of the king. Wow. The, the, mm. the comparison goes deeper. He says, you know, the, the eunuch actually couldn't enforce anything. All he did was provide the things necessary for their purification. Whether or not they used those things would be revealed when they stood before the king. Hmm. And he actually was fired from an independent Baptist Bible college for teaching that. It's
2: almost like he was saying we need to let the Holy Spirit do his job yes. and not try to be the Holy Spirit for yep. believers.
1: Yep. Well, I've talked about that extensively. Yeah. Um, it's called spiritual adultery. Hmm. And a lot of pastors commit adultery with the bride of Christ. Amen to that.
3: You've said, I, I've heard that, and I love the way you said it, Brian. It's like you said it's like pastors are committing spiritual adultery with Jesus' bride. And to make matters worse, they then abusively run over her and try to shape her in their image. So he forges, think about it, this, this type of pastor then forges an abusive relationship with Christ's bride while he's away, steals her affection and attention away from her groom, and then beats her for it. How, how do you think Jesus feels about a man stealing his bride's affection and then attacking her when she refuses? Hmm. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult thing, but that, that's hmm. what's happening. In a lot of these churches, I feel, and, I, and I've experienced it.
1: It's tragic, and it's also going to be tragic on Judgment Day because Christ is protective of his bride. Yeah. Amen. Mm.
3: I was just going to say, there's a schism happening in the Independent Baptist Movement. I want to be very clear about this. There's a lot of people staring at the schism, and they don't know what to do. Mm. I want to be on the right side of this. Mm. There are some guys who have clearly chosen the other side of this schism, I and mean, you guys are a big part of this. You've been right on the tip of the spear, in my view, of this mm. conversation, and I praise God for your ministry and for what you guys have done uh, in, this, in this area, but it's separating those who are committed to their own kingdom versus the kingdom of God, mm. and I'm going to be very clear, if you're in that toxic environment, if you are in an environment where they're defending a brand, mm. where they're defending their friends, where they're defending their own kingdom, leave. Leave. You should leave their church. You're not, and this is the way you often hear, I don't have peace about it. You're not going to get peace because that pastor has replaced the Holy Spirit's voice in your life with his. Mm. You're not going to feel peace. Replace what you feel with God's word. You can find peace afterwards. Yeah. Just get out of that toxic environment. Read Galatians, the whole book. Read it 10 times. Read the end of Colossians 2. Read Romans 14. That'll wreck the rules culture you're a part of, mm. and, and you can get healed. In the truth of God's word, um, and I just I just know that because I've experienced myself. I didn't have peace when I left. What I had was the truth of God's word, and the peace came. The peace that passed with all understanding came afterwards, and so that's what God's done. And I can honestly say here today, God has driven any malice and bitterness in my heart completely away. He's gotten rid of the rules obsession and the legalism. But there is no, I have no hard feelings toward the people in my past. I don't wish anything but God's best for them. Um, and I just, I'm just so glad that I feel the freedom that the truth of God's word gives and the love of Christ that I've experienced in a way that I've never, I never knew was possible. And I just hope that's what other people can find as well.
0: Amen. Amen. That's some powerful stuff. And I'm excited about you guys and uh, the podcast that you're getting ready to get started. Clay, you want to tell us a little bit about the podcast you and Josh are getting ready to start?
3: Yeah, I'd love to. We're calling it the Young Baptist Podcast. Uh, It's supposed to be a fresh perspective on the issues facing churches in light of God's Word. Our mission statement, I'll read that for you. It's the mission of the Young Baptist Podcast is to call Christians to committed faithfulness to God's Word, to equip Christians by answering the tough questions that need to be asked, and to challenge churches on everything that distracts us from
0: the beauty and glory of Christ. Wow. Wow. That's exciting. And so we introduced this last week with Mike and Jen Peters. They are starting the equivalent of the Recovering Fundamentalist Espanol and the Young Baptist podcast. And we're excited that we are going to be starting in January of 2021 the RFP Family of Podcasts. And uh, over these next few weeks, we're going to be rolling out some other incredible podcasts that are joining up. With the RFP family of podcasts. And so we're going to end 2020 with a bang by throwing out some just incredible podcasts that I'm sure a lot of you are already listening to, but they are joining up and are going to be part of this community that God has put together. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind over this last 11 months. And 2020 has birthed the RFP family of podcasts. JC, does this mean I'm a trendy now? welcome am i officially trendy
1: one million percent trendy yeah i love that we got called trendy because you know maybe nathan and jc they're cool guys i've never been called trendy in my whole life it was almost like a compliment (laughs) just like for example a moment ago hey tim keller if you're listening to the rfp podcast clay quoted all of those things you've said but then he said my favorite quote is once you see truth, you cannot see it. That's mine, Tim. That's that is mine.
2: <laughs> that's funny. Well, if you guys are anything like me, tonight is not going to be enough. You want to hear more from Clay Maynard. I'm looking forward to this podcast. You're not just a guy who wants to say something. You're a guy who has something to say. So I'm Amen. looking forward to where that's going. And I've already, spoiler alert, I've already had a little taste of that, and it was amazing. Looking forward to what you and Josh are going to be doing. It's going to be Awesome. Thank you guys so much.
0: And here's what's absolutely incredible about the RFP family of podcasts is that there's going to be a podcast for every taste. We're going to have some that are going to fit your prerogative, your genre. Man, I'm excited about this. Just knowing what's coming in 2021 with these podcasts, it's going to be absolutely incredible. And tonight has been incredible. There have been some truth bombs thrown out there. There's another milestone for what has happened
2: at the J Radio Studios tonight, we have our very first ever live studio audience. Can I ask our audience to, to give a round of applause right here? Let's shout. Let's, here we go. Woo! Yeah.
0: <laughs> so can't... do I. It's all six of my kids walking in to say <laughs> goodnight to hey, me. Hey, <laughs> I know you guys like funny
3: stories. Do you want me to end you off with a funny uh, yes, traveling please, story? Yes, please, please. So I was, uh, I was just a kid, and we were traveling with the boys home. And we were in one of these churches, and Nathan can talk all about this too. It's contagious. But they put us in the, they just put us in the sanctuary, usually. Oh, yeah. Just stuff you in classrooms, and you just roll out a sleeping bag, and you sleep. And so we would play hide-and-seek in these empty, dark sanctuaries while we were stuck there. And this one night, we had this kid who was in the home who was in a wheelchair. And so we were helping him hide, so we helped him up onto the stage because he said they would never look for me ...on this stage. So we oh, rolled no. him behind a, a piece of shrubbery or whatever, and the rest of us hid. Well, in the middle of the game, he has to go to the bathroom. And due to his condition, he had to go right then. He had a little catheter bag that he wore that would fill up, but it was full. So he leaves his hiding spot, rolls out, and says, "'Help! Help! I gotta go to the bathroom!' And everybody, nobody was willing to give up their spot to help this poor guy go to the bathroom. I don't even remember hearing him, but they swear he was yelling." Please help me go to the bathroom. Nobody would help him. So he was rolling around the platform just desperate for what to do. And under the, pl- under the pulpit is a vase. He pulls out the <laughs> vase. He empties his catheter bag into the vase so that he has space to, uh, to, to do what he needs to do. So we're, he's thinking, okay, I'll just get this cleaned up later. This, what a mess. Well, a couple days later, we were on the road about 150 miles away, and he's in the van and he yells out, Oh, no! <laughs> no <laughs> I way. forgot to clean that up. I felt so bad for whoever the cleaning somebody person is found who's going to find oh, that thing. It probably goodness. was just going to, you know how them under them pulpits get? It probably was yes. just going to start stinking before somebody found it. <laughs> oh. I
2: have a story that's almost similar. It doesn't involve. Peeing on the stage. But we were staying in this church, sleeping on the pews, sleeping on Sunday school tables. It was about 20 to 30 boys in the boys' home. And one of them was very, very superstitious and he was terrified to stay in the church. He's like, I'm not sleeping in a church. That's not going to happen. So he ends up sleeping out in the van. Well, in the middle of the night, someone walks out there to check on him and He was like, are you sure you don't want to come in with the rest of us? He's like, I'm not sleeping in that church. There's demons in there. I don't know what happens in there. I'm not sleeping in that church. And the guy goes, okay, but it's kind of funny that you're okay sleeping right beside the graveyard. That dude shot up, looked out the window. The van was parked (laughs) right beside a graveyard. He went running in the church and ended up sleeping the rest of the night in the church. But that's how we grew up, man. Props. Yeah, absolutely. There's a
1: thousand of those stories. Yes, there are. Well, I've gotta ask you guys one thing. Okay, so both of you grew up in boys' homes. Did y'all stand up on the platform and quote scripture like <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall, I not, shall want. not want. He makes me hey, to lie hey, down in hey, green hey, pastures. Hey, hey. Okay. Hey. We were, we were coached
3: on how to not sound that right, robotic, yes. guys. Come on now. <laughs> I remember we were just talking about this last night. We were like, what is it that none of them other people who got up and sang their special had to quote scripture? And I told him, I said, it's almost as if they were like, hey, because Roloff is the one who started that, where while they were up there, they'd quote scripture and not just sing. And they'd give mm-hmm. testimonies in between the scripture passages and all this stuff. And they did sound like robots. Oh, they did, especially the girls' homes. Yeah. It was just real, just... Stream of consciousness Neither. coming out, yeah. And so we were talking about last night, I said, it's almost as if they were like, hey, we need everybody to know we're not just babysitting these dudes. We're actually putting something good into them. So <laughs> while they're up there, let's get them to quote some scripture so that these people can see that we're <laughs> actually hilarious. doing something over there.
2: Yeah, but we did all that, Brian. We did. Brian, you would have been proud of us. One of the first verses I learned to quote at the Blessed Hope Baptist Mission and Boys Home was Titus two eleven through 15, looking mm. for that blessed hope.
1: Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious (laughs) appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're just jealous. Y'all good?
2: I'm good.
3: All hearts
0: and minds clear. Amen. (laughs)
2: Love you guys.
0: (laughs) All right, here we go.
3: Brian and JC, I'd love to meet you guys one day, but I have so much enjoyed talking to you guys. And just keep up the good work. I love the ministry you're doing, and it's a very important voice. And I pray for you guys. Um, and I, and I just love what you're a part of and I've grown to love you through the, through the podcast and uh, hopefully JC and uh, Brian, I'm here with, with uh, Nathan here in the studio, but hopefully I'll get to meet you guys
0: one day as well.
1: Man, I look forward to it.
0: Can't wait. We're only a few hours away from Panama city and we'll definitely be over there to see my buddy, Mark Bateman at St. Andrew's Baptist church there in Panama city. And so we'll uh, give you a shout when we're in town for sure. Absolutely. All right. Hey, thanks for being here with us tonight on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Don't forget to go get your tickets for the Idea Summit coming up in Vegas, where the RFP meetup is going to be taking place January 25th and 26th. While you're at the recoveringfundamentalist.org getting your tickets for Vegas, be sure to click on the Free Life Soap tab, use the promo code RFP, get 20% off of your purchase this and thanks to j radio for being a sponsor of the podcast guys it's been an incredible week can't wait till next week when our wives are on the episode with us it's going to be our thanksgiving special i'm so excited it's going to be incredible (laughs) nate it was so good to see you this past weekend as we came home for a couple days brian i look forward to seeing your pretty face in vegas baby absolutely i can't wait hey been a good
1: week y'all have a good one love you jc Love you. Be sweet.